time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome back, everybody. Uh, We enter now the phase uh, known as Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable every Wednesday on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes... Uh, Roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you as well. Good morning. And it's always fun when we're joined by political operative and 2020 elector, Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, uh, welcome. Did you hear me? I hear you now. How you do, Bobby? <laughs> I guess I have Hi, to Bobby. hold it closer. <laughs> Hi. Um, well, as as you all know, we start out with a few quotes before we get into uh, commentary and analysis about uh, headlines from news and politics and current events. Um, the first uh, quote is always uh, finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And the quote is, challenges make you discover things about yourself that what? That you never knew. Maybe you didn't want to know. 
Uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> no, I no, you had it right the first time, Paul. It, the original quote was, "Challenges make you discover things about yourself that you never really knew." Who do you think said that? Huh? Somewhere I've heard that, but I can't place who said that. Well, I'll uh, I'll I'll, I'll save you the head scratching. It was Cicely yeah. Tyson. Oh. Oh. Oh, 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 and I okay. thought it might be nice to just sort of recognize oh, yeah. her and her accomplishments. She passed away this past week, yeah. and uh, she will certainly be uh, certainly be missed. And it was also a great way to sort of give a uh, nod to the fact that this is our first show in February, which is Black History Month. Wow. Yeah. Right. Thank you. But the quote of the week the first of a couple and there there have been a bunch but uh but we'll go with this one i support passing covid relief with support from republicans uh, if we can get it but the covid relief has to pass there's no ifs ands or buts uh, joe biden no yeah it was joe biden uh president joe biden came yeah. to washington with big dreams of bipartisanship but the practicalities are now setting in. Meeting with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in the Oval Office, the president warned of the cost of inaction, pointing to alarming new job losses, the hunger that some 30 million Americans are facing every day, as well as the possibility that an entire cohort of kids could face lower lifetime earnings because they're deprived of another semester of school. He punctuated that that point less than two hours later. Um, on his way to visit Walter Reed National Military Medical Center when a reporter asked him whether he was willing to achieve his goals by using reconciliation, uh, an arcane uh, procedural tactic that would allow Democrats to pass the relief bill on a party-line vote when he made that quote. Is this Obamacare all over again? I don't think so. Excuse me, I think he learned from Obamacare that you can't spend a lot of time um, going back and forth with the opposition with the promise that they might support you when they'll turn around and not do it. It would be more uh, advantageous for the president to link that, and although there are some, there are some differences and arguments against this, but to link it to something that is continuous, that's established, that's proven, and that needs... Uh, the cohorts from the other side to chip in to drive the process to its. I think he sincerely end. wants yeah. it to be bipartisan, but but I also think, as Bobby pointed out, he got a little burned on Obamacare. They took the time and they they even made some changes in the bill to accommodate uh, Republicans, and then not a single Republican supported it when uh, it came mm-hmm. time to take a vote. And that's kind of the way it's looking right now. I mean, it would be nice to be bipartisan. Yeah. And everybody's saying the nice words, but uh, when push comes to shove, I'm not so sure it's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, I, I compare this to uh, the, uh, the bill between General Motors and the Union when they brought in Canada into that, with Mexico to that uh, agreement that we had. Uh, it was, was NAFTA. It was started by a Republican, George Bush won, and uh, then Clinton came, and he submitted it to the um, to the Congress, and it was 
passed in his administration, but that was really a Republican thing. So well, here's, when you have something already established, you should really try to work in, and that kind of shows bipartisan stuff as well. Well, here's uh, a, an interesting quote, certainly caught my attention. The Republican Party has lost its way. If we are to lead again, we need to muster the courage to remember who we are. Anybody know who said that? It sounds like George Romney, is it? You mean Mitt Romney, Bobby. I mean Mitt Romney, excuse me, wrong Romney. Was it Flake out of Arizona? No, um, but uh, it could easily have been, Paul. It was uh, GOP Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois on Sunday announced a new movement to push back on the Republican Party's embrace of former President Donald Trump and retire the, quote, poisonous conspiracies and lies, unquote, that defined his administration. The effort from Kinzinger marks a notable escalation in his struggle to set a new course for the GOP after four years of the Trump administration. He was one of ten Republicans who joined all the uh, House Democrats in voting to impeach Trump earlier uh, this year for incitement of insurrection in light of his role in encouraging the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Will this ultimately, um, this action by Kinsinger, when, if other people uh, join in, other Republicans, will it inspire the launch of a third party and by whom? Well, I think that that's ludicrous. No, I'm not thinking we're going to see a third party, but I'm thinking maybe Trump who goes a third party and the, the traditional Republicans stay with the Republican label. But I can see, I can see Trump going a third party come through 2024. 20, uh, well, there there are an awful lot of Republicans that are now becoming Democrats. I've seen that, but I also uh, read Eugene Robinson's column. I think it was yesterday, where he said that if the GOP is going to rise out of the ashes. They first have to become ashes, which means there's going to be sort of a <laughs> self-immolation. Well, I don't see any of that happening, <clears throat> because I think that if, if people abandon the Republican Party and its structure, it has no infrastructure to start with. It has to start all over. You leave a gap, and if you leave a gap, something fills it, something else, something unintended, expected. So they have to hold together and, and grow out of who they are, because they have the basis, the core of the uh, uh, intent of the Republican Party already established. Could you tell me and I what do you... Think that a, I, I, let me say that. I, I do think uh, that a third party will rise in spite of what the Democrats or the, Dem- or the Republicans do. And what will the impact of that third party be? Well, it's going to be... Um, it's going to meet those challenges that Democrats and Republicans can't seem to to uh, to get over, get by. But will they be able to elect? Will they be able to elect candidates? If you can't, if you cannot elect candidates who can sit in the policy seat, then your third party doesn't have any impact at all. And generally and historically speaking. They have to start at the local and state level in order to build up enough of a following to have any impact at all. Well, we they have actually third are, parties there already. Are 
Aren't there a few of those so-called patriot parties already registering? Yes. Uh, I mean, yes, it looks like they've got a Trump label to them, but they're, I think Texas has got one and the state of Washington, I've heard. At least those two, I know, already are, are getting some kind of organization together. But when a third party does start, it has to hit the ground running. It has to be powerful, influential, capable of attracting good candidates and being able to fund those candidates. Would a third and that's party difficult to do right now? Would a third party led by Trump um, have that kind of uh, ability to hit the ground running? Well, I, th I think it, what it would do uh, is split re it'll split the Republican Party, and in the end, it may it may aid Democrats for a while. If, if you split the Republican Party into traditional Republicans and Trump Republicans. Um, well, I haven't put enough thought into that. That's a good question, but I have not no. put enough thought in. But I do know when there are barriers uh, to success, and we all oh, yeah. know the, that. It's difficult to replace the Democrats and Republican Party in this country, but, but it can be done. But you have to think it through, and you have to gain both from Democrats and Republicans. It has to... Well, we really haven't had a third with, uh, party win the White House. I mean, I, since except maybe the Republican Party in 1860, you really haven't had a third party have electoral success in the White House. They've come along to gather a few votes, and then usually one of the big parties will pick up their supporters somewhere along the way, whether it's George Wallace or John Anderson or Ross Perot or others over the years. They come along, but they really don't last very long, and usually one of the big parties one way or the other, makes a move to pick up their supporters. I think but the question is what kind, of, what kind of Republicans will be attracted to a an alternative party that Donald Trump would head? Well, the best time to start a third party is right now because of the dominance that um, President Trump did. But and what kind of Republicans but, would follow um, him? I don't, I don't know what kind of Republicans would follow them. They aren't predictable. Right now, the Republicans are unpredictable, and uh, they are trying to um, to redevelop their strategies and how best to carry those out. This is not something you just pull well, the, out of the air overnight. You have to think it through. You have to get other people involved in it. Henry, do you think do you think the Republican Party would fare better over the long term, not in the short term, um, by? Um, Purging itself of the uh, the so-called Trumpers and and becoming a more traditional version of itself. No, I don't think they have to purge themselves of the Trumpers, but they have to convince the Trumpers that now that era is behind you, and we need to focus on the future. You don't want to keep dividing and subdividing people. Well, yeah, Henry, remember that report that remember that report after the after uh, Mitt Romney lost the election. There was a Republican party report that said the Republicans needed to reach out to Hispanics, to African Americans and others yes. who traditionally yes. were not Republican. And then you got Trump who went exactly the opposite direction and ironically found at least success in 2016. Well, you found a different <laughs> pool of people to attract to exactly. the party. But we need to take a uh, short break here, and then uh, 
we'll reconvene after we give our broadcast partners a chance to squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when uh, we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, but more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program is just on the other side. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives, but we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19, where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Tom Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics with Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton, and we turn our attention a little closer to home. Nominating petitions are now available in the Flint City Clerk's Office for candidates interested in running for a seat on the City Council. Uh, in the elections later this year. Um, there are nine members of the Flint Council, each representing a geographic ward in the city, to run for a seat. Candidates for council are required to be a registered voter of the city for one year prior to the filing deadline of 4 p.m. Tuesday, April 20th. Under the new Flint City Charter, nominating petitions must be signed by at least 75 registered voters from the ward in which the election is held. City Council primary election is scheduled to be held August 3rd with the top two vote-getters from each ward facing each other in the November 2nd general election. The clerk's office said in a news release last Wednesday that petitions are available by appointment only due to the coronavirus pandemic. Are there sitting uh, council members that are vulnerable? Oh, I would think so. I mean, I think there's some dissent in, in a number of wards where if somebody wants, I think the real question is, does anybody want to run and join the city council? Well, that is Give my a, other question is how much yeah. interest do you think there is? Yeah, that, I, I, that I don't know. That's a good question. Oh, well, uh, the, when other people don't want to want to run, I, I'm, I'm just saying, with all the, the current chaos on these eight and ten hour meetings, how many folks want to get in line and, and join that? I mean, I think there's there's a lot of dissatisfaction over a number of council members, and and I would expect to see some real races emerge. But uh, I can also see some a number of potential candidates being discouraged when they look at the uh, uh, the, the current situation and the chaos in the council. Yeah, I think um, also. The ones that come out and run against the incumbents lately, I've noticed, that tend to be some of the young, uh, more progressive thinking yeah. activists. And so you might see some of them who actually are are not gauging the possibilities of winning or they think they can win, so they'll run anyway. So I, bet, I imagine you'll see some challengers. Yeah. You know, I, I also saw one interesting comment on Facebook about this, and I'm not sure where it stands. You know, we're in the middle of... Uh, the, the census and the, the redistricting, and will the council be running with their current districts, or will they, will they have, I can't imagine they're going to have new districts by August, but uh, will they have those districts then until 2026? I uh, don't think those new uh, districts will apply until 22. Am I right, Bobby? Probably, yeah, yes, because yeah. They, yeah, the redistricting in the city will take place at the city level. It doesn't depend on that state-level redistricting. So that, I'm wondering, is it even in process now? 
Well, the census is not officially done, I don't believe, is it? The numbers aren't totally in, I, I don't think, are they? Okay, I guess not. I know, the state, I know the state-level redistricting commission has already begun its work. Yeah, I know the commissions are meeting, but I, I saw a story the other day. The census numbers were, I think they were waiting until the end of March, and then there was a concern they might even be until the, until the summer before they're finally done because of all the pandemic stuff and some delays there. But I did see some comment about the, the worry about whether or not, if you, gathered, if you gather your signatures in your current district, and then somehow they conjure up a new ward for you, will those signatures be valid? I, Again, I, I can't see them getting those districts done by August or even November, probably. But yeah. yeah, and like Tom said, they probably wouldn't apply until next year anyway. Yeah, well, I'm saying the, the, the current council is going to have a five-year term, so ironically they're going to be, have the, the current districts up until 2026, uh, if, if, that's what, if that's the way it works out. So if somebody really wanted to get into mischief, they could sit on the redistricting panel and district somebody out of their district. Eric uh, Mays that, that are that, like that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. When the districts are uh, are decided, do they go into effect for the sitting council at the time, or does it just stay with the existing uh constituency until the next election i think for the next election i believe so i mean probably maybe, next election i say i was what's ironic as i say what's ironic is that if they were elected this year under the current districts that those districts because of this charter and this five-year term situation they've got those districts would would, would, would in effect hold true until 2026 and then we, and that, at that point, we'd be, be looking at, you know, the next, the next census <laughs> in 2030. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of an odd situation they'd be in, I think. Somebody's phone is generating uh, a little bit of static. I don't know if it's a short in a cable or, or what. It's gone now. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm hearing a little static, too. Yeah, I'm not sure where that's coming from. Anyway, we'll move on. Attorneys for uh, Governor Rick Snyder's former communications director and chief of staff have joined uh, the former boss in asking a Genesee County judge to dismiss the Flint water crisis, crisis indictment against him. Attorneys for uh, Jared Agan, uh, 43, charged with perjury in relation to the water crisis, uh, filed the motion uh, Friday saying the indictment by a one-man grand jury improperly relies entirely on bare general statutory language, failing to provide Agin with uh, required notice of the false statement he allegedly made during his Flint water testimony on February 11, 2017. The motion also says the case should not be heard in Genesee County because Mr. Agin's Flint water testimony took place in Lansing, Michigan, making uh, the proper venue uh, Ingham County, not Genesee County, and says the grand juror who returned the indictment, Genesee Circuit Judge David Newblack, lacked jurisdiction to investigate and charge Mr. Egan because his Flint water testimony took place in Ingham County, not Genesee County. Attorneys for Snyder are also a uh, asking a Genesee District Court judge to... Uh, dismiss criminal charges against him, uh, claiming he was charged in the wrong county. 
What do you think is the proper venue where the crime was committed or where the crime, the, the location that the crime or alleged crime affects? Hmm. It's usually in the jurisdiction where the crime was committed. Yeah. Usually. See, that, it's that, an unusual case. Yeah, yeah. Not being an attorney, that's what I thought, too. So maybe he's got a point there. I don't know. Um, and whether that means you just refile the same charges in Ingham County and start all over again, I don't know what, the, what that means in practice. They probably have to convene another grand jury. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and would um, an Ingham County court come to the same resolution as a Genesee County court? Mm. Yeah, there you've got a difference of opinion, too, yeah. Yeah, and I, I suspect that's probably what the defense lawyer is arguing, is, is the, the, the hope, at least, that there would be a different conclusion in Ingham County than Genesee, I suppose. That's uh, their their logic, their strategy. Hmm. It's one of those questions that, are, like you say, the the effect of the crime was in Genesee County, but the crime was committed in Ingham County, huh? I yeah, wonder if I, it's kind of. I wonder if there's a precedent in any court for this kind of argument. I'm trying to think of any other similar examples where. Hmm. Well, it would maybe some like environmental law where if you poison the water here, but it goes downstream and kills the cows there, you know. Yeah. Um, well, what do they yeah. do in the Embr uh, Enbridge cases when there's a crime committed here, but they're headquartered in Canada? Right, and the impact is, is further downstream. Yeah, I think it might be an environmental law where you might find some precedent. Mm -hmm. Could be, could be. Interesting well, question, though. COVID-19 vaccines headed to the county health department are not expected to increase next week, but or this week, rather, but officials say they will distribute everything they get by appointment and continue preparations to distribute doses in greater numbers once the supply is boosted. County uh, Medical Health Officer Dr. Pamela Hackert said uh, this past Thursday that about 2,600 first doses are expected to be delivered to the health department by midweek, about the same number that arrived from the state of Michigan last week. Hackert said uh, health officials will begin to target areas of the county that have been hardest hit by coronavirus using data collected when individuals pre-register to receive the vaccine. You will be seeing a shift in vaccine distribution targeting hardest hit zip codes, Hackert said. How do you think the vaccination is going? I know a lot of people that have already received it first. Yeah, I, uh, I was going to say, I, I got my first shot last week at Myers, and I was impressed by how well organized they were. We were in and out of there in a half an hour or 45 minutes at the most. It was a very well-run operation. I mean, for all the stories I've seen about how tough it is to, to get uh, vaccination and get through, I, I was able to register within 10 minutes on their website. And like I say, I, I was impressed by how well it ran here. I mean, maybe, maybe that was a rare exception. I don't know. Well, I'm registered with Myers and Davison, and I talked with the pharmacy a few days ago, and they haven't received any of their vaccine yet. Hmm. 
Sandy just registered with them. I uh, I was filling a prescription uh, prescription recently, and the uh, uh, Davis and Myers Pharmacy, where I get my prescriptions, um, has has a phone prompt encouraging people to sign up for the vaccine, which surprised me a little bit. I don't know why. Yeah, it's easy to do online. It's very very quick. Yeah. Henry? You know, well, last Wednesday we had an appointment at 2.30, and we were out of there by, by 3.05, and that included 15 minutes of waiting. So it, it was, it was, and there, were fair, there was a good number of people there, but it, it ran very smoothly. Henry, are you still with us? Did we lose Henry? I, I think we did. Did he dial back in, or do you have to call him? Well, um, usually he calls he calls right back, um, and and once in a while we run into a situation where he may be hearing us having this conversation and not able to you know for some reason his audio isn't coming through. <laughs> that happens occasionally, and if so, he should disconnect and call in. If not, I will try to give him a call at my uh, first opportunity. Um, but I thought I would go ahead and and. Uh, roll out this next one um, to see what kind of response we get. Governor Gretchen Whitmer spoke of unity and common ground and looked past conflicts with the legislature in her State of the State address last Wednesday, but she hit back at recent actions by GOP lawmakers in a Thursday morning news conference. Whitmer called Republican threats to withhold school funding over disagreements about her response to the coronavirus pandemic cruel and reckless and said the legislature continues to com complain about her exercise of powers that were in fact granted to the executive branch by the legislature. The executive has to be nimble and quick when lives are on the line, Whitmer said during an online news conference. Uh, Congress gave bipartisan approval to a coronavirus relief package that included billions in aid for Michigan schools and to hold these things hostage to try to change the balance of power in Lansing is just cruel and reckless. And the question is, is all fair in love and negotiation? <laughs> in politics, probably it is, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, uh, well, whether I mean, it's fair or not, it certainly is a reality. I think um, where people's lives and their, and their public safety is concerned, which this certainly is, um, that kind of um, game playing, and basically that's what it is, is just wrong. Uh, and that also goes back to the vaccination question. I believe the current uh, thinking, if it's not already in place, is for the federal government to directly distribute vaccines to the pharmacies as opposed to having them go through the state uh, Department yeah, I've, I've of Health. Heard I've heard that just this yeah. morning, yeah. And this is an example when something is going through the state instead of going directly. If they were to go directly to the schools, any of the aid, um, then it wouldn't be an issue with the legislature. But do you think it's just you know a chance for someone to make partisan points, given the opportunity? I mean, I think that's where we're at that atmosphere these days, where. Even in times of crisis. Well, it is. Yeah, it is. It's, the atmosphere yeah. is tainted by, by this political upheaval. Yeah, I think it is. Is that Henry coming back? I heard the phone ring. 
Yeah, maybe Henry's coming back. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he has an opinion, especially when it deals with education. True. That was one of the things that, uh, following what they're concerned about or what they're planning on doing regarding the funding and uh, opening the schools again, it concerns me if the local school districts or the school boards are not paying attention to the ventilation in the schools. If you have old schools that don't have good ventilation, there are too many instances where um, infection can occur. And I would be more concerned about the teachers than the kids because the kids seem to be dealing with it you know, pretty well. But those kinds of things are really important. Well, we've got yeah, Henry uh, back with us now. Henry, uh, uh, I don't know yeah, what happened. Thank Henry. you. Guys, I, my phone must be tampered with because I often get that. And so I'm back with you now. So, uh, But I wanted to comment on Bobby's last comment about ventilation in schools. Uh, a number of years ago, um, the architecture for schools began to look at uh, air conditioning units for schools because they were really hard to cool in the summertime. And so they closed all the windows and made the other windows smaller. That's contrary to the idea of the uh, kind of... And then they, they gave the rooms a, about six times per hour air exchanges, I think. You had to completely circulate. You had to have fans that would pull out all of the air six times an hour. That's every 15 minutes. No, every... Um, Every five or six minutes. No, no, no. Twelve minutes, every twelve minutes. So that that means that uh, air was being circulated, but they had no ventilation through windows or things like that. Mm. Now, they have to go back and reverse this to do, open up windows. And, again, that's a that's a architectural problem and a structural problem that has to be deal, dealt with through other means. Mm. Yeah, you know, any school you pass by, you'll notice that the windows are barred or closed. Yeah, but, yeah. That was the big problem I remember back in the 80s in Washington, D.C. There was a, a whole movement and a whole group of people uh, that were measuring indoor air quality because, you know, a lot of toxins because of glues and um, artificial fibers and things like that accumulate inside of buildings. And there was a whole movement that looked at that very issue regarding public buildings because they did the same thing to these public buildings in um, in the federal government. They were, they were sealed up. And so there was yeah. a lot of, of toxic um, stuff circulating. So now we've just added virus to the mix. And, and, and in those days, there was also, we were concerned about energy consumption. And we the, the most, the easiest way that you could reduce your cost of operating is to reduce your energy supply. And so that's what they did. They closed up the windows and uh, they um, air conditioned the buildings, uh, which cost less because you lost, you had a, a small rate of change of heat, heat across the barrier. And uh, so what you propose or what you're inquiring about would require an infrastructure that would be completely different than what we have now. We yeah. go back to where we were. Yeah. 
Well, I remember when uh, the big movement to stop smoking in restaurants and bars, the big issue for many of the restaurant and bar owners was that if they set in, if they were to have an adequate ventilation system, could they allow smoking in part of their facility? And I think the scientific evidence that came out was there was no way of completely removing all the toxins from the smoke, no matter what your ventilation system was, because it, it floats around. But um, the whole indoor air quality thing is an issue that is important. But, but now what, school districts do, don't let anybody smoke on the property at all. You, you cannot smoke on any school district. Well, and that's so, true yeah, with bar and restaurants and Clio. most public yeah, buildings. You cannot now. smoke in Clio on the school property. Now, I would think one other issue for the school center would be the, the, the sheer cost of doing this re-engineering. Do, do districts yeah. have, the, have the funds and resources to... To, to do a re-engineering, even if it's... If it's and this sounds model. like we'll have to live with some of the flaws of one way yeah. or the other of uh, the conditions that we are given. Yeah. I was just remembering when Michael Moore was first elected to the school board, I believe I've read, that one of the first things that he pushed through was for the high school to have a smoking area for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like oh. Michael. <laughs> I think yeah. that was it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but nobody ever calls him back and say, do you remember when? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember when Dan Kildee says that uh, when Michael Moore was elected to the school board, I guess they both served at the same time, that uh, Michael Moore made Dan Kildee look like an ordinary middle-of-the-road guy. <laughs> That's right. They did serve on the the school boards uh, somewhat concurrently. Yeah, they were they were yeah. both elected about about age eighteen or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dan says he had long hair and he wore these <laughs> hippie clothes. But Michael made him look ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he he has looked a lot different since then, and of course he looks a lot different now as he appears on uh, CNN a couple three times a week. He's he's looked and is behaving much differently since he spent a little time on the floor, in in the well of the Congress, uh, gripping his uh, oxygen mask. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, there's nothing like uh, fright and uh, imminent danger to um, adjust the way you feel about yourself he he was clearly uh pretty shaken by that by that episode and is he's not uh missing any opportunity to talk about how serious that event was from looking out from the inside it was very serious and i i, I listened to your conversation earlier with your economist chris um and he sort of downplayed the seriousness of it. Yeah, I thought I had noticed that too, Bobby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I don't know if he's just looking at it from an economist point of view. Oh, he's looking at the, it from the Wall Street point of view. Yeah. How they I might react that, to an event and the conclusions that they might make. Yeah. Because looking at it from a constitutional point of view, it was... It was traumatic. It was dangerous. It was everything that we've talked about. And to sit and look at it as if it really was just a bubble on the surface, 
I couldn't I couldn't understand it. No, from all indications, they they were willing to take hostages, and and and, and they were at least talking about killing people. I mean, but the but the tonight. point Bobby's referring to that that Chris made is from uh, the the stock exchange's point of view. If you had slept through the whole month of January and just woke up and looked around, nothing oh. is different. Yeah, that that was the point he was trying to make. In any event, we have to take a short break, but we'll come back and pick it up with armchair politics right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. If you are sick with COVID nineteen or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home, except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, Call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our uh, our roundtable of political pundits, including uh, on the left, Paul Rosicki and on the right Henry Hatter joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton and uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, get into was uh, student athletes parent advocates and school officials were invited to Lansing Thursday to make the case for lifting a ban on indoor high school contact sports an issue that's become a flashpoint between legislative Republicans and Governor Gretchen Whitmer. On Thursday, the Senate adopted a resolution urging the governor and Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to lift the ongoing suspension on indoor high school and youth sporting events. The voice vote came after committees in both the House and Senate heard from several advocates of resuming sports. Currently, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services has the winter contact sports of boys and girls basketball, ice hockey, uh, competitive cheer, and wrestling barred from competition. All winter contact sports are only allowed to perform non-contact activity during team practices. Uh, Up until the morning of January 22nd, winter, winter contact sports were set to resume in full capacity on February 1st, however, the MDHHS extended those orders until February 21st. Is this impatience really dangerous, or is the governor's uh, administration being too cautious? Hmm. I don't think it's too cautious. Uh, when you think, if you're going to have indoor activity with the kids playing sports, you're going to have an audience. You're going to have people in the stands, you're going to have parents and family and students cheering them on. Otherwise, what's the point? And um, that just opens everything up to some more of this spreading. I think we need to be more cautious about the fact that the, the virus is mutating. And as I heard yesterday in the discussion about it, the faster we can defeat it and come back to whatever is normal, the faster we can stop the mutations, because the longer it goes, the more mutations we'll see. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, as I say, well, if, my, it's not, if, it's, if it's not spreading, it's not going to mutate at all. Yeah, go ahead. My, po- my point on this is that if you're making laws and rules and the subjects don't respect them, you have 100% of nothing. And students are the most uh, vulnerable. They are the most likely to uh, deviate from rules and regulations. They, they're like my kids or your kids. You know, they don't listen all the time. They do whatever their will is. And this is what happens in, in sports. And we, we've got to give kids, and it's already been discussed and, and partially agreed upon, 
that students need activities uh, to do well in school, to create character and stuff like that. And they say that sports do. There's some evidence that sports do that. Well, they do. I remember years ago thinking that if somebody looked at the, the model of the functioning of a football team, you actually have a pretty good model on management. You know, the distribution of, of duties and everybody has a responsibility. They work together. It's, uh, sports are a good thing. It's just yeah. that I believe right now, why would we risk uh, poisoning the whole community because of sports? I, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, I understand that kids are frustrated that they might—they're afraid of losing college scholarships and all that. But it's true for all students in in, in other all all areas where the schools have been forced to go virtual and can't do the usual sorts of things in many areas, not just sports. So sports really aren't any different in some ways than the traditional classrooms or the kids who are in music groups or or theater plays or a lot of other school activities too. So. I mean, I understand there's a, there's a frustration there, but it's a frustration that's that covers the whole school system, not just the sports area. But the, our students are the leaders of the future, and they will they will remember this, and they will move in different directions in how they govern than what we do because they were so highly restricted, and uh, it's just like all of the things that have changed within the last twenty years that the Republicans are behind on like sex education and like, for example, um, um, partial birth abortion and stuff like that, where kids have moved away from those and those kind of things are now permissible. But it was always in the view of Republicans that this is something that we need to hang on to. But we've lost that battle and we know why we lost it. You know, what, what kind, one kind of side issue here is what surprised me is the the size of the demonstration that this generated in front of the Capitol. And it seems like almost every issue we have now generates a relatively large demonstration around the state capital or the U.S. Capitol or elsewhere. I mean, I mean it's, it's, again, a serious issue, but an odd thing for a, for a, a demonstration. Yeah, it's an it's a outside, outside activity. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to yeah, but we were talking about sports, guys. Please. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we have true. gotten kind of far afield. Um, but uh, I, I was surprised to see one of the things that was uh, being advocated um, as as potentially coming back fairly soon was wrestling. Yeah, that, that especially I was thinking. And that's tricky. Yeah, I thought of all the things you were. Yeah, I thought of all the things that you might hang on to. Um, wrestling would be pretty low on the list, but I don't. Yeah. Know. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Environmental activists against Enbridge Energy's Line 5 running beneath the Great Lakes say the state's approval of permits needed to build a tunnel to house a new section of the oil pipeline is unfortunate, but the fight is far from over. The Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, or EGLE, said today that it approved applications to discharge uh, wastewater into the lakes and perform construction work in protected wetlands 
which are among the authorizations Enbridge needed to uh, build its proposed $500 million utility tunnel next to the Mackinac Bridge. The permits are not the final word on the tunnel project, which still needs to clear similar federal approvals and must yet go through a lengthy review by the Michigan Public Service Commission. However, the state permit approvals do put EGLE at cross-purposes with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who has ordered the pipeline to be shut down this May after the Michigan Department of Natural Resources concluded the company has been historically noncompliant with its 1953 easement. What happened to the idea of enclosing the existing pipeline? That's still on the board. I just read about that. You know, they they go down underneath the surface of the lake there, and they build this trunk line down there. And... uh, you know, and that could really work. You could have valve shutoff valve every 150 feet, say. If you, so oil that you lose will be only that volume of oil in the pipe in this interval, 150 feet. They could be remotely controlled or they could be manually controlled. And it remotely would be secondarily contained by the... So the minute you detect the leak, you can shut that valve off. Mm-hmm. And the oil would remain inside the tunnel. We've so, I've uh, seen these developed at Buick. And but yeah. but this sounds like approval has been given to do a a secondary or at least a section of pipeline um, that's secondary to the original pipeline and to yeah. encase that. In, that is in this not, tunnel, and that isn't what we were talking about last year. No, no. no. You were talking about the like tunnel underneath the. It sounds like what you're talking about is running a redundant pipeline before they shut off the pipeline, so that yeah. it's turn off one and turn on the other. But my question, when I read this and I didn't read it in detail, was: Did the courts have a role to play in this? Was somebody ordered to do this, or how did it come about? Well, initially, uh, Governor Rick Snyder at the time, in his uh, final days uh, of his administration, approved a project that I thought was um, to enclose the existing pipeline so that there was secondary containment. And it would work the way Henry described it, where, you know, any um, problems with the maintenance of of the uh, existing pipeline would happen inside a tunnel and be contained by that tunnel and could be cleaned up and repaired and, and so on without damage to the lake itself. And... I, I have to admit, um, you know, that I, I thought that was a pretty good move because even if they stop using the pipeline, the pipe is still there. Yeah, and still it still has to residual oil. Yeah, <laughs> and, and still subject to, you know, um, decomposition and, and, you know, has potential for pollution even while not in use. And so I thought the idea of secondary containment was probably the smarter uh, solution of all the options. 
Um, there, there are two ways you bring about secondary containment. One is a pipe within a pipe. That's secondary containment. That's right. the simplest form. Everybody uses that. So, but the one that uh, you're talking about in the tunnel is a specialized, almost fail-proof system where you can limit the amount of oil that's released at any interval. And they're calling and, it a utility tunnel now. All of these other valves would back up and certify that no oil escapes. Well, we have to, we have to break here and uh, go to our uh, top of the hour ID, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics with our, uh, our uh, panel of political pundits right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 